baptism. But let's get into the Word of God here, Exodus chapter 4. Um, we'll see if we can get through the whole chapter tonight. I don't know if we can make it or not, but um, a lot of good things here for us. Uh, I want to dive right into the first verse because in diving into the first verse, I think it's the best way to kind of, uh, kind of go back to what we finished up with last week there in chapter 3. Uh, notice there verse, uh, chapter 1, or, or chapter 4, verse 1, excuse me. It says, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And notice how this says, the Lord answered and said. So Moses is answering what the Lord had said to him. And God is telling Moses to go and do something. And he's even telling him, when you go and do this and you say these things, this is what's, what's going to happen. And Moses comes back with, well, suppose basically you're wrong. And so I think in, before we get into that, let's, let's consider what the Lord had told him to do. And there's quite a bit that he told him. Well, there's one thing he told him to do, then he told him what would happen. I don't want to get into all of that. But basically, remember, God had told Moses to go there to the children of Israel and to tell them that, listen, um, God has appeared to me, the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's time for us to, to get out of Egypt. And, uh, you know, and he's appeared to me, and the Lord said they're going to believe it. Uh, and, and then, of course, he starts with the supposes. But let's just read it here, Exodus 3. 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, and this is when he asked, you know, who your name is. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then notice 18, and this is the key here, then they will heed your voice and you shall come to the elders of the children of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And then he goes into what's going to go down in Egypt and basically says they won't heed your voice, but this is what's going to happen. He's not really asking about that side of it right now. Moses is saying, if I go there to Israel, to the elders, you know, and God just said, say this, and they're going to heed you. But he comes back with, suppose they don't believe me. Suppose they won't listen. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Aren't you glad we never do this? The bottom line is when God says, go do this, and this is what's going to happen, God's going to keep his end of it. God is going to keep his word. God is going to do what he says he's going to do, and he does it in the way he says he's going to do it. Now, sometimes we think that's going to look a certain way when he knows how exactly it's going to look. But he's always going to do what he says he is going to do. And listen, the word of God, so much of it is prophetic. God's saying this is what's going to happen. And then that happening exactly as he said it was going to happen. And this is a wonderful thing about our Lord. He absolutely knows the end from the beginning. And he really wants us to trust in him knowing the end from the beginning and assuring us that, listen, in Christ Jesus, everything's going to be all right. Isn't that good news tonight? In Christ Jesus, everything is going to be all right. That's just a glorious truth. I know that's very simple, but it's the absolute truth of the matter in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it in Isaiah 46, 9. You know, he says, remembering the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And notice verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasures. And that's the truth of the matter. God's counsel is going to stand and God wants us to stand in his counsel. 
knowing that his word is true, even in the midst of so much upheaval in this world, so, so many perilous things, and in this perilous time that we are living in, and so much of it, you know, as you open up the word of God and you look at prophecy just as unfolding as God's word said it would unfold, and it's very easy in the midst of all of that to begin to have our knees buckle and knock together when, again, the Lord has given us assurance that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's told us He's with us to the end of the age. And He's told us what to go and to do, right? He's, he hasn't said to shrink back from doing what He's called us to do and worshiping Him, doing what we're doing here tonight, fellowshipping, building up one another, and taking the gospel out to the world around us. Uh, he's given us assurance in that. And we need to rest in that. And we can look at this and say, you know, well, why was Moses worried about it? Look at, uh, of course, God did what he said he was going to do. And we kind of have the advantage of, you know what, seeing the end from the beginning as well, so to speak, and that we knew everything that happened. But Moses here didn't know that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Uh, he had to step out in faith and believe that. But these things are written, written for our learning. They're written for our example. And even prophecy itself. And there's so much prophecy that has been fulfilled and prophecy that is literally being fulfilled right now. We need to know that that's really a gift from God to us to help us all the more believe Him when He says, go do this and this is what's going to happen. That that's going to unfold as the way He says it's going to unfold. I love what Jesus said in John 13, 19. He said, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. And so prophecy is, is again, a gift that God has given to us to help build our faith. And that's why we talk about prophecy a lot. When we go through the Word of God, we're going to talk about it a lot because it's throughout the Word of God. Prophecy, again, it's a, it's a wonderful tool to even share truth with people it's what separates the Bible from every other book ever written because it is a prophetic word and it is prophetically 100% accurate. And so again, God says, this is what I'm going to do. But Moses comes back with, but suppose they won't believe, suppose they won't listen, and suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And you know what? Moses is doing something that unfortunately... The, we do at times, right? We doubt God. We doubt Him. We doubt His Word. Um, we lean on our own understanding versus, again, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. And uh, it's a pattern that I know myself fall into, it seems, time and time again. Hopefully in the midst of it, we're growing and we're believing Him more, but it's still something that we're working out, aren't we? And the beautiful thing, though, is we're in God's Word here tonight, and the Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, and hopefully as we're looking at Moses here, and, uh, you know, we can look at him and say, listen, you know, why is he doubting God? Of course God did what He said He was going to do, and this unfolded exactly as God said, it would unfold. Hopefully that helps us to do that less. To say, suppose, Lord, this happens. Or, God, have you brought this into your calculations of things? Have you considered this other thing? Listen, he does what he says he is going to do. And he wants us to receive that. He wants us to get away from leaning on our own understanding and giving all the reasons why God may fail or all the reasons why he may not come through with his word. And we may not look at it like that, but when we start saying, suppose this, suppose that, we are giving reasons, even when it's not necessarily we're giving them as a direct salt against God. But when we start giving all these reasons why we shouldn't, and in a way we are doubting him and his word. And he really wants us to abound in trusting in him and he wants us to learn and I just praise him and we're going to see this in this chapter here tonight how patient he is with us in learning these things he remembers that we're but dust and and though we don't want that to enable us to abound in doubt it is very comforting that you know what 
he knows that we're a work in progress. And so on one hand, I think, you know what, there, there's an exhortation and a call to believe, but what encouragement and comfort we have in knowing that he's gracious and he's patient with us. But, you know, it's a Proverbs 3, 5 thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And again, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And, you know, God's appearing to Moses here in a bush that's not being consumed. Told him to take his sandals off his feet because where he's standing is holy ground. I mean, this, he's, he's literally, in a way, face-to-face with the Lord, though, you know, in a way, he's not face-to-face with the Lord. But again, an angel of the Lord is appearing. We've established that it's Jesus Christ who is talking to him face-to-face. And again, instead of acknowledging the Lord, he's leaning on his own understanding. Suppose this, suppose that. Just amazing. I mean, it's amazing what we do. And, and you know what? Driven by fear versus, again, leaning on him and trusting in him. And I don't know about you, but I want to grow in that. I want to grow in trusting him more. I want to have these supposes that come out of my mouth to get crucified. I want there to be less and less of those and more and more, yes, Lord. I believe you, Lord. I'm going to go, Lord. I mean, can we say amen to that? And praise God. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And my hope would be, even as just looking at this tonight, that the scale gets tilted more in that direction. And by us even just acknowledging, Lord, build our faith. I think of the man that said to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That we can lean less on our own understanding and all the more acknowledge the Lord. And I would just encourage you in those times when you want to say, suppose this, suppose that. Instead of beginning to formulate, formulate a list of either why my way will be better or the reasons why God will fail in what he's going to do that we start listing all the reasons why God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And right off the bat, I mean, again, his prophetic word, the fact that he's not a liar, the fact that he has sustained us this far, and he's been right this far, are pretty good reasons to, you know, lean on him and know he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And we really need to take this into heart in light of, again, this day that we are living in. We're living at the end of the age. Um, Biblically, I mean... We've been in the last days for a few thousand years, but we see things unfolding in a manner that they never have. And listen, prophecy is unfolding greatly. And the Lord has said, He is coming back. Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to His work. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And unfortunately... And again, I talk about this often because it baffles me how much I see this. I see more and more professing Christians giving reasons why he's not coming back quickly than taking him at his word when he says, I am coming quickly. And let's make sure we don't fall into that error, fall into that mistake. I know I was very grieved. Some of you may have heard this, you know, recently, Brian Brodus, when he took over Calvary Costa Mesa, was at a retreat. This has become a big deal right now in the Calvary Chapel movement. He was telling pastors, we need to talk less about the rapture. We need to get away from teaching through certain books of the Bible because it's not exciting the young people, and we want to excite them. And the thing that's fascinating to me about that statement is, one of the things that God used to really explode Calvary Chapel and a lot of the Jesus people movement was, guess what? Jesus is coming soon. Any hippies here tonight? Any converted hippies? I mean, wasn't that the thing? Jesus is coming soon? And, and there was an excitement in that, right? And listen, I, I remember the 70s. I remember some of the 70s. And I, I remember like, Comic books, Jesus comic books were really popular, and all of them were about the rapture. And even a kid, you know, how, you wonder how some of this material even got into your hands. And I remember, you know, at, on one hand being excited, on the other hand being terrified because of just my own issues and whatnot. And that excitement that was there, because they saw things unfolding, and they understood, listen, these things are happening as God said they were gonna, they're happening, and He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And now flash, you know what, flash forward all these years, oh my goodness, look at the world today. How can we not look at the world today? That's child's play back in the 70s compared to what's going on right now. When you look prophetically, 
I mean, you look at what's going on in the Middle East. You look at the, the hardness of heart. You look at a delusional world. You look at an abandonment of the ordinances of God by so much of culture calling good evil and evil good. I mean, let's not doubt the Lord. Let's not get, start getting reasons why the Lord's not coming quickly. He's coming quickly. And so the encouragement into us, to us is then to be about his business, to be doing what he's called us to be doing. One side note with that story is that, and I praise God for it, there's some, there's some Calvary pastors stepping up and calling this guy to task. And I, I applaud them for that because there's been a whole lot of other things that that hasn't been happening in. But I'm, I'm thankful for that, and, and I, I commend those men for doing that. Uh, because, man, this is a time when we, we can't be doubting God's word and giving reasons why Jesus isn't coming quickly. Listen, it needs to be talked about more than ever. He is coming back, and he's coming soon. And listen, if, if anything else, uh, if you say, well, that's your opinion, then flush my opinion down the toilet, and here's Jesus' opinion. Behold, I am coming quickly. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is your hand? And he said, a rod. Of course, the Lord knew there was a rod in his hand. He's asking Moses because he's wanting to get his attention to that rod in his hand. Three through five, and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, listen, if the Lord appeared to me in a burning bush and he told me to throw my rod down and it became a snake, I think I would, you know, start jumping up on something too and fleeing. I mean, this is, this is some crazy, uh, miraculous type stuff going on here. And this is a miracle. Um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to miracles in the Bible, man wants to try to either explain it away, we talked about this recently, or... Um, wants to try to take that as evidence that the Bible's not real because there's no way that that could possibly happen. Well, listen, God has a right to do miracles. And there'll be a whole lot more coming real soon in the book of Exodus. He has a right to do miracles. God does not have to stick to the laws of nature, which, by the way, he created and put into place and show intelligent design. But listen, he governs creation. Creation doesn't govern him. And he's within his right to do a miracle and to do things that man cannot explain and figure out. Uh, creation itself is a miracle. And it's something that men will never be able to calculate because God spoke and it happened. And something came from nothing. But I think it's just encouragement to us to keep it in, in, in our mind that, again, we serve an all-powerful God. And as Jesus said there in Luke 18, 27, uh, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so, you know what, I know it's just kind of a, you know, it, it goes along with this, but the Lord, I just feel like it was impressed on my heart to share that. And maybe just that's a word for someone here tonight, that you're in a place of, of where Moses was, suppose this, suppose that, and you're even giving all the reasons why God can't do something, listen God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, and answers to nobody in doing it. And if he wants to take a rod and say, throw it down, it's becoming a snake, guess what? It's becoming a snake. Now, this would cause Israel to believe. And if we get down to verse 30 through 31, he goes and he talks to them. He throws this down, and they're like, wow. And they believe. The Egyptians, though, would not be impressed. We'll read later on, Lord willing, in Exodus 7 that, you know what? Moses is there before Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh, as God said, would happen, begins to harden his heart. So Moses does the old staff trick, and they're just like, yeah, whatever. And the sorcerers, remember, throw their staffs down, and that happens as well. And they basically turn their back, but the difference is that Moses' rod goes and swallows their, his snake swallows their snake. And they get out of the room either without seeing, or they just shrug their shoulders, and they heart in their hearts. And listen, that doesn't convert them. Um, and as wonderful as miracles are, and again, we don't want to limit the Lord and what he can do. Uh, 
you know what, it's the gospel that saves people. And it's interesting, what would actually get some of these Egyptians to repent uh, and step out in faith? It would be putting the blood of those slain lambs over their doorpost. And uh, let's just make sure we never put the pursuit of miracles and signs and wonders over the pursuit of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of, of, of the gospel of Christ. Because as we've seen there in James, it is that gospel that brings us from that place of death to life. And then listen, the Lord, I want the Lord to do whatever the Lord wants to do, but pursuing Christ and the word is going to help us to distinguish between what's God doing and what is the enemy trying to imitate. And there's a lot of imitations today. Verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, which would be like his cloak there, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again, and he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they will not believe you nor heed the message of the first two signs, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take water from the river, pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And again, these things would be done as well in the sight of Egyptians, and uh, they wouldn't be impressed by it. Because again, Satan would be able to duplicate certain things. And uh, it's interesting because the Bible talks about false signs and false wonders and how they can be very deceiving to people. Interesting, we're talking about the coming of the Lord. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says the coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist who will appear in the end of age. It says the coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan. And notice what it says here, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all righteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And these things would be done and the Egyptians would just shrug their shoulders to these things because they didn't love the truth. And because they didn't love the truth, they didn't test things by the truth, they were open to deception. But we do know what would come next, dust would become lice. And at that point, the, you know what, the Egyptian sorceress, Janice Jambres, we get a couple of their names in the New Testament, they would step back and they would go, uh-oh, we can't do this, this is the hand of God. Because God would bring forth life. He would bring dust and turn it into lice. God is the giver of life. And listen, that's something that Satan can't create. He's a taker of life. God's the giver of life. And aren't you glad you serve the giver of life tonight? And I would hope and pray we'd be in a, a people that, that are receiving the truth and we love the truth. And I'll tell you, that is a great safeguard in a world that is full of a lot of deception. To love the truth, to stand in the truth, and to test everything even by the truth. Well, notice verse 10 then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This guy's just pulling out all the stops here. And boy, isn't it easy for us to find reasons not to trust in God? Suppose this, suppose that. And now he begins to look at himself, all the reasons why he can't do these things. Listen, the truth of the matter is outside of the Lord, we can't do anything. Moses had a right in the previous chapter when God came to him and said, who am I? And then the Lord said, I'll go with you. And we talked about the fact that we want to have that attitude that says, who am I? Humility. But then we got to remember, you know, who am I in myself? But let's remember who I am in Christ. And in myself, yeah, I can't do anything. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's that balance between humility and faith, that balance between a humble heart and a confident heart in the Lord. At this point, though, Moses, you know, uh, he's either come to the place where he's been in the desert so long that he resolved he was never going to go back, or maybe he's looking at himself just saying, I'm, a, I'm an 80-year-old man now, so surely, you know, the Lord can't use me. Uh, you know, we do know that in Acts 7.22, later on, when Stephen is talking to the Pharisees, he gives this commentary. He says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the e Egyptians. And notice, 
and was mighty in words and deeds. That's commentary from the Holy Spirit through Stephen. He was mighty in words and deeds, but Moses is saying, I'm not eloquent. Uh, You know what? Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow in speech. Well, God said he was mighty in words, and Moses said, I'm slow in speech. So I look at it as either he's either lying, thinking he can lie to God, and you can't lie to God. You know, I don't know if Stephen's referring to an earlier time and some physical ailment had come upon him, so maybe he is being truthful at this point. Or it's just an excuse. Probably that's most likely what's going on. I'm trying to excuse my way out of this. Or it's just a lack of confidence, again, in the Word of God and the call of God. And uh, you know what? In that, it's a lack of faith. And uh, the Lord does not want us, again, He wants us to have a humble heart. He wants us to have that who am I mentality. But at the same time, He wants us to know who we are in Christ. And He wants you to know who you are in Christ, that you're a conqueror, more than a conqueror. You're an ambassador. You've been given gifts. You have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have His Word. And He wants us to, again, not question Him in what He's called us to do. And again, it's not us being cocky or arrogant in ourselves But if he calls us to do something, he's going to empower us to go out and to do it. And in that, he gets the glory and he gets the praise. And I think there's truths here that are liberating because sometimes it's a thing we're all caught up in ourselves. I'm this, that, or the other. That needs to be crucified. We're going to talk about that in James this this weekend where if someone thinks he's religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue. Now, the issue isn't his tongue. It's the issue is he thinks he's religious. He thinks that he is God-fearing. Well, what's the standard that someone's even come up with that? Because the standard is Jesus Christ. And that's problematic when we're thinking we're something more than we are not in ourself. And we need to put that to rest. We need to put that down. But on the other hand, again, when we take up our cross, God wants us to know who we are in Him and not doubt that. And so on one hand, we, we, we should be in a place where we are, you know what, pursuing humility but we are pursuing, again, confidence in the Lord, and that's the proper balance. And when those things get out of whack, everything gets messed up. So let's ask the Lord to help us to have a humble heart, but at the same time have a heart that is faith, has faith in the Lord that, listen, if God calls me to do this, I'm going to go and do it, and I'm going to do it well in Jesus Christ's name to His glory. I mean, that has to be the mentality. That, that's, I, I know I've wrestled with this for many years being a pastor, and even starting off at a very young age with very little training and so forth, but I knew God had called me. And just leaning on that, I'm going to lean on the call of God, and if God's called me to do something, then God's going to empower me to do it. And I think God gifted me with that early on because, again, when you're a young pastor anyway, there's a lot of criticism. Probably most of it's warranted. Uh, But God raises up people in different ways. And he raised me up in a way where I don't think he wanted me to to go to a seminary or whatever. And I look back now and I say, thank you, Jesus. But there was a confidence there that, listen, I don't have to be intimidated by anybody because God's put a call on me. I know on myself, I am nothing. You know, I I was voted the, the shyest person in my junior high school. And now I'm here, you know, at a public orator for the last 25 years. But that's the balance. I, I, I know I'm but dust. And, and I want to know that and grow on that. But listen, I want to walk in the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants us to be abounding in that and growing. I haven't arrived in that. I'm not trying to make this about me, but I want to share with you that that's where biblically the Lord wants you to be. And he doesn't want us doubting like Moses here and giving all these reasons why I can't. Those are not coming from God. That's coming from the enemy. That comes from your own heart that is deceitfully wicked. You can do what God has called you to do. Go do it with your confidence in Him. You can parent like God wants you to parent. You can be a spouse that that God wants you to be. Single and walk in victory as God's called you to be. The ministry to be bold, to teach the word, to go and serve others. Let's put our confidence in Him and amen. Amen and go do what He's called us to do. He equips His soldiers Listen, he doesn't say go fight a battle, but I'm not going to give you the equipping. We got to just take it up and go and do it with confidence in him, not shrinking back, not doubting. And I I, I get passionate about it because I think the enemy 
again, so oftentimes gets in with these lies and, and we listen to them and it limits so much of what the Lord wants to do through us for his glory. You know, just like Moses, what he's fallen into right here, giving all these reasons why he can't. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who has made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Again, he's made us out of dirt. He made us out of dirt. He's given us the ability to speak. He's assured us again in the scriptures that in Christ Jesus, he wants to empower us. And there are several passages that even, you know, we're to study ourselves, to show ourselves approved, but he speaks of, you know what, giving us the words to speak, especially in those crunch time hours where he talks about that in Mark 13 and persecution and so forth. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the words to speak at that time. And so he's assuring Moses, he doesn't start in on Moses and saying, listen, you are elegant, you eloquent, you were learned, you got all this stuff taught to you. You know, what does God do? God points to himself and he says, listen, I'm with you and I'm going to give you what to say. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to give you what to, you know, what needs to come out of your mouth. He's saying, put your confidence in me. Yeah, you can't, but I can. And tonight he wants us to have our confidence in him. I can't, but he can. And he will do what he says he's going to do. 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. There's a truth there tonight. Listen, have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Can you say amen to that? The minute you said, you said yes to Jesus, he said, I'm sending you. It's the call on the Christian. We've been sent. I mean, he gathers his disciples together, and he says, go into all the world. I'm sending you. We're here, again, we are here to glorify the Lord, build up the body of Christ, and to be sent out. And here's Moses saying, send someone else. We've got to die to that thought. Not me, Lord. Send someone else. Use someone else. I think of Isaiah there in Isaiah 6, he, he's caught up in the third heaven and he, he sees the Lord in his glory and he's seraphim from and so forth and, you know, the Lord touched his lips with a coal and then it says, we need someone to send and Isaiah says, send me, Lord. And I think what's the difference here, I think and even, you know what, the Lord touching his mouth with that coal that you read about there, he says, your sin is purged. It, it was the Lord getting him getting all those reasons why he can't that he would come up with out of the way. And Moses has them all stacked before him. And we need to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, tear down all of these doubts and all these reasons that I can say, yes, Lord, as you send me out. Because we're being sent. That's a call on everyone in this room. If Jesus is your Lord, he's saying, I'm sending you. And he doesn't want us to doubt that. He doesn't want us to downplay it. He doesn't want us to pass the buck. It's not, I've sent Pastor Steve. Listen, Pastor Steve's been sent, and in part I've been sent, and the pastors and teachers, and, and even, you know, all of us here to a degree, to build up one another to go out as the Lord's sending us. And if he sends us, he's going to go with us, amen? He is. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he smote him down dead, and that was the end of the story. No, praise God, it doesn't say that. The Lord's very patient. I mean, gosh, all, he just, all these times he's coming back with why I suppose this, suppose that. I can't do this. Please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Look how gracious God is. I know that he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say, so he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. 
And again, the Lord is very patient. The Lord is very gracious. Again, he remembers that we're but dust. And you know what? You know, he knew Moses had been in the backside of this desert for the last 40 years. Probably thinking time and time again, this isn't the way, the way it was supposed to happen, right? But God, you know, listen, we might give up on ourselves, but praise God, he doesn't give up on us. And you know, his anger with Moses here was just his lack of faith and in God's ability to do what he said he's going to do. This is where we get into Hebrews eleven six. It's that chapter of faith. And what's it say there? But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And again, God doesn't want us to doubt him. You know what? Again, he's upset, but it's, it's as a father would be. And, and it's, it's, again, that Moses isn't just taking him at his word, but in the midst of, again, that anger, again, you see the patience and the graciousness and God even just then meeting Moses where he's at. So it's like he doesn't have this faith, but let's work with the faith he has. So again, your brother Aaron, who no doubt is an elder and he's been speaking for the last 40 years, uh, he's going to meet you, he's going to embrace you. And he's going to be your spokesman. And listen, God's amazing in that he would even use this for good, getting Aaron involved. He would use Aaron to establish the Levitical priesthood. And um, it would be a glorious thing despite Moses' doubting. But I have to believe that, you know, Moses perhaps forfeited some reward here. <coughs> I mean, he was still rewarded. <coughs> and God was still gracious. But I was thinking about this, you know, there in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, the one that buried that talent, the Lord said in Matthew 25, 28, so take the talent from him and give it to the one with 10 talents. And Moses didn't bury all his talents, <clears throat> but he buried one, and when he buried it, what did the Lord do? Okay, I'm going to take it, I'm going to give it to Aaron. Don't let people take your talents. Don't say, I'll let someone else do this when God's calling you to do it. It might seem easier now, but you're missing out on what the Lord has for you. And I'm going to tell you, walking out, stepping out of faith and serving the Lord is so much better than whatever you think you can do with that talent, burying it in the earth. It's so much better. And I don't want my talents, I'm selfish with talents. I don't want my talents taken from me. Maybe there's some that I am burying, some I need to use better. I'm sure there are. But the Lord is telling these things because he's giving us encouragement. He's wanting to look at at things that eternally, uh, life here is very short. And maybe tonight you've been forfeiting some of your talents. You've been letting other people do what God's called you to do. It's time for you to step up and say, I'm going to take my talent back and I'm going to use it for the glory of the Lord. And, you know, I'm not saying you go tackle someone. I'm taking my talent, but I think you know what I'm saying, right? Verse 18, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go return to my brother who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Well, come on, God just told you they're alive, Moses. Anyhow, <laughs> it's what we do, is it not? It's what we do. Let's not be too hard on them. It's what we do. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And... Uh, this is, a neat, this is a neat verse. It looks like a footnote, but you know what? It does show, say a lot about Moses' character. He had obviously served Jethro well for 40 years. It's that picture, cast your bread on many waters and it will return to you. And Jethro wants to bless him. And it also, listen, it shows a lot of, says a lot about Jethro. It shows his integrity. And, um, you know, this guy was very insightful. We've talked a little about him already. We'll talk more about him, Lord willing. But I think that he got that, listen, I want to bless Israel and be blessed. And Jethro would be blessed and saying, listen, go do what you need to do unto the Lord. And I think about Uncle Laban, remember with Jacob, where he said, you're not going. You're my money maker. You're my cash machine. And things worked a lot better, worked out a lot better for Jethro than Laban. And, you know, it's just a picture again of, of selfishness versus selflessness and wanting to walk according to the counsel of God versus, again, us thinking it will be better if we do it our own way. Well, verse 19, then the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. 
Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And um, God's timing is perfect. I mean, even if these guys weren't dead, God could have sent them. But you know what? God knows we can only handle so much, right? And I think if he said, and by the way, that Pharaoh's there and he's ready to kill you. <laughs> he gives us what we need. He's dead. You can go. And probably on the whole way, he probably thought of all the reasons why he probably isn't dead. But anyhow, again, that's what we do. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, uh, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. And notice here, but I will harden his heart, that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I shall say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And indeed, these wonders would unfold. God would harden Pharaoh's heart. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. It's, it's, it's not the Lord, you know, damning someone, but it's the Lord giving Pharaoh over to his heart. He didn't want to receive the truth, and the Lord gave him over to his error. And this is why the scripture says, listen, the Holy Spirit speaks today, don't harden your heart. Because what you're hearing today, you might not be able to hear tomorrow. And you might be here tonight, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're here in part because you know the Lord is calling you to repentance. You need to respond to Him because tomorrow you may not be able to hear. And He says, listen, again, you need to say to Him, Israel's my son, my firstborn. And indeed, God would birth Israel, that through Israel He would send His only begotten son, and absolutely, he would refuse to hear, and eventually he would say, your firstborn's going to die, because it would come down to them putting trust in that blood of the Lamb that would deliver the Israelites and the Egyptians, though there was a mixed multitude that would convert and believe, but Pharaoh, amongst others, again, would die in the rebellion. They would refuse to repent, even though all those plagues had to do with exposing the gods they worshipped and showing that they were nothing compared to, again, the God of gods, the King of kings. Verse 25, or 24. And it came to pass on the way uh, at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And you're like, what in the world? Is this a typo in my Bible? As the flora took a sharp stone, stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you're a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And again, it's like, where in the world is this coming from? What is going on here? The Lord appears to him. Moses, again, gives all these excuses, ultimately stepping out of faith. And then the Lord meets him, is seeking to kill him. Looks like he has him in a death lock because, again, 26, he gets let go. And Zephora, again, in the middle of this, circumcises one of the sons and casts, again, the foreskin at his feet and calls him a husband of blood. I get asked about this verse all the time. We started in the Exodus, and before we were in chapter 1, said, hey, what's up with that uh, Zephora calling, you know, Moses a husband of blood? Listen, to be able to move forward, you got to obey. And God puts our faith to the test. Remember this covenant that God had made with Abraham of circumcision? It was predicated on faith. Abraham believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. But what was the sign of that faith? They circumcised their males. It, 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 was a, it was symbolic of the covenant that they had with God. And here's, again, Moses stepping out of faith, but this was a hindrance because he had faith, but he wasn't acting on it. And how is he going to go minister to all these individuals outside of his house when his whole own household was out of order. So Zephora again goes and does this, cast it at his feet and calls him a husband of blood. And it seems again that she didn't have an understanding of all of this, probably because Moses had not done a good job explaining it to her. 
he hadn't shared with her most likely the importance of these things, had downplayed it because they were on the backside of the wilderness and it wasn't an issue. And men, we got to know that if we're not going to lead our families in the way of the Lord, and a lot of times men do that thinking that it's going to be the easier road and there's going to be more smooth sailing, it's going to come back to bite. And you can say, sort of speak, the chickens came home to roost of her not understanding this. And him not at some point saying, listen, woman, it doesn't matter what you think. We're going to honor God in our home and we're going to do this. And I know that a lot of people would boo and hiss. You know what a pastor's saying that? But men, God's given you a backbone. It's time to use it. Not to trample your wife. This wouldn't be him trampling her. Yes, we need to love our wife as Christ loves the church. But sometimes that includes, you may not get it, but God's called us to do it, so we're going to do it. And I know he'll sort it all out. Because it's interesting, over the years, I've heard this verse quoted to me a lot of times. You know who it always was by? Women who were married to Christian men who did not have a backbone. And for some reason, they stumbled across this and they said, he's a husband of blood to me. It's just ironic. And maybe that's just my experience, but I've seen it over and over and over again. We're to love our wife as Christ loves the church. That includes, again, absolutely putting them before us and so forth and serving them biblically. But at times it means you may not get it, but I'm going to go and do it. Because the four should not have been doing this. Moses should have done this eight days after the kid was born. We're going to finish this. And if we have to come back a little at the end here, we will. But we're almost done. 27, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded. And this is awesome. I mean, 40 years, it's, it's you know what, this, it's reality TV moment here, this reunion, right? I mean, what a beautiful picture. And I love it because, again, the Lord is even paving the way and that he's impressed these things on Aaron's heart. And you got to know when the Lord's called you to do something, he begins to pave the way. He's already paving the way before you were even taking your first step. And he's paving the way. He's pressing this on Aaron. And then it is awesome. Moses gets out there and he shares the word of the Lord, which Moses is getting raised up here. We're a work in progress, aren't we? And the Lord's raising him up even as these things are unfolding. He shares the word of God, always the best thing to do. And then finally, 29 uh, through 31, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. Drum roll. Remember we started, suppose this, suppose that. Suppose they don't believe me. So the people believed. Imagine that. God did what he said he was going to do, and it happened the way God said it was going to happen. Real simple, too. They shared with them. They threw the rod down, did the old bosom trick a few times. We believe. They've been crying out. Moses in the desert, they've been crying out. We want to deliver No doubt these elders have been talking about the word of God that had been given to Abraham, that they were going to, you know what, be delivered. They're crying out. Moses here on the backside of the wilderness thinking, you know what? I've been there. That place was horrible. God's paving the way, isn't he? Listen, you need to know there are people in our culture that are crying out, I want to be delivered. And we need to go. And too many times we think of, again, the Pharaoh that wants to kill us, the skeptic, you know, I'm not going to know what to say. We need to put all that aside and know, listen, there's some lost sheep out there and Jesus came for the sick, not those that say they don't need a physician. So if along the way there's a few people that snub me or whatever else, so be it. But there's some lost sheep that need to get saved that have been even crying out for deliverance. I want to go because the Lord's paving the way. So the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Isn't that awesome? They worship. They said, wow, God cares about us. 
God is sending a deliverer to deliver us. We want to worship you. And again, we got a world around us with all kinds of people in bondage. And they hear the gospel. I mean, aren't you here tonight? You heard the gospel and you worship. God cares about me. Jesus died for me. Let's keep that in mind when he says go. Versus all the reasons why I shouldn't because people might look at me weird. They might not be my friend anymore. They might accuse me of hate speech. God said go. God's going to go with you. And there are people out there that are, again, the field is widened to harvest. He doesn't say until we get to the year 2016. It's widened to harvest. He wants us to go. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We praise you. We thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, it is rich and it is good. And I thank you, Lord, that you are you know what, direct with us, and yet, God, you are patient and gracious towards us. I would just hope and pray tonight, God, that our faith has been built in these things. And, Lord, we would be a people, God, that step out, Lord, in trusting in you. And, Lord, I just pray tonight, God, that you would crucify, Lord, all those reasons that we give why we can't or you won't that aren't biblical. And listen, as we close here in prayer, If you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, listen, he died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin, and he rose from the grave, defeating death to make that way of life, and it's found only in faith in him as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him, listen, he's calling you tonight to come to that place of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through trusting in Him as your Lord. And the Word of God says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Him if you do not know Him. Don't harden your heart to His voice, and He will meet you where you're at, even right now. And He wants to bring you from a place of death to life, even right now. Call on His name. Lord, bless the rest of our night here. We praise you and just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.